0: The telecom sector, as it exists today, is really only expected to generate low single-digit kind of earnings growth. After the reclassification, we'll be looking at a sector that is expected to grow earnings double-digit uh, percentage rate. So, uh, certainly faster growing. But you're going to pay more for that because the valuations will be higher. Certainly, the volatility will be higher as well when markets uh, are down. So, those are things you have to keep in mind. is This is, this is not your mother and father's telecom sector. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And
1: I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello. Welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. I'm Ryan Dietrich, Senior Market Strategist. And today we have a special guest on the line, Jeff Bookbinder, Equity Strategist with LPL Research. Jeff, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, Ryan. It's good to be with you. Hello, everybody.
1: Now, Jeff, you're really doing great. I heard it was the first day of school up in Boston. How did it go this morning? That's the most important thing.
0: Well, it, it it went well overall, but I got to be honest, it was a little bit of anxiety uh with my uh my third grader. Uh the, the first grader just took it in stride, but uh right. third grader a, l- a little nervous.
1: Well, that's understandable. Down here in South Carolina, we started 2 weeks ago and I think it's definitely the kids are doing fine now. It's always harder on the mom, you know. That's how it usually goes, right?
0: <laughs> oh, I hear that.
1: So, you know, welcome everyone again. We're looking forward to a really fun discussion with Jeff and I today, hopefully. Um, you know, kind of here's an outline of what we're going to discuss today. We have the communications sector being added to the S&P 500. Jeff is an expert when it comes to the S&P 500 sectors, and obviously he's our equity strategist. So we're going to dive into kind of what exactly that means. Also, this is September. Welcome to September, first off. But historically, September is one of the worst months of the year, depending on how you look at it. I've got some numbers. We're going to talk a little bit about the quote-unquote worst month of the year. As we move into the lightning round, we have a few other things we're going to discuss. We're going to take a look at valuations. I threw out a very Interesting tweet that kind of caught fire. We're going to discuss that interesting tweet that I took a look at. Also kind of the big events this week. And just overall September, what are some of the big market moving events? So Jeff, let's get right to it. In our recent weekly market commentary that's coming out earlier this week, as well as the cover of Barron's. Barron's was talking about this weekend. We have a really big event happening. The communications sector is being added to the S&P 511 sectors. Um, you know, I'm just going to turn the stage over to you, Jeff. That's why you're here. What do you think it means? Just tell our listeners you know, what, what investors should expect when this takes place later this month.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. The um, th- This is big news. It's, it's the biggest change to the S&P sectors we've ever had, if you just look at wow. how these stocks are moving. Um Essentially, the telecom services sector is being revamped to become communications services, which is going to be dramatically different. Uh, we'll still have 11 S&P sectors, but the, um, the biggest change here is that the telecom sector is not going to be a defensive, yield-oriented sector anymore. Uh, it's, um, it's going to be faster-growing, more economically-sensitive uh, and kind of higher octane, I guess, I guess you could say. So that's, that's really the biggest change. It's, it's going to be much bigger, too. The telecom sector, traditionally, um, it's only been a couple percent of the S and p Now it's going to be uh, closer to 10. Um, and then um, we also uh, have some changes in consumer discretionary. Uh, you know, in addition to technology losing some of the big so-called FANG stocks, uh, and, and being maybe a little lower octane, <laughs> let's say the consumer discretionary sector is going to lose some media names that are shifting over to communication services. So it'll be a smaller, uh, less uh, influential sector uh, after these changes um, later this month. And then I, I think you know Barons did feature this uh, this this weekend. I think one thing that they touched on a little bit, but I think it's a really big deal is now that the telecom stocks, the traditional telecom stocks, are part of a bigger sector that's going to be of greater interest to folks, I think there's the potential for those stocks to have a little more demand from folks using uh, sector products than, than they uh, used before. So this could be an incremental positive for those legacy telecom names that people really, really weren't using in sector products before.
1: That's interesting, Jeff. You know, when I hear telecom, obviously we have shades of obviously the late 90s when that was a very influential group, had a lot of large growers. But really it feels like, you know, the last 10 or 15 years, the group really is kind of like you said, been defensive. It's a small-ish part of the overall S&P 500. So it kind of makes sense, I think, that this, this well, obviously, hopefully it makes sense, right, that this decision has come in. I mean, I'm not, hopefully I'll put it in your spot. What are some of the other kind of major sector changes we've seen over the years, Jeff? I mean, you know, this is, like you said, this is the biggest one ever. But, you know, going back, I mean, are there any other ones that, that just to kind of put a bow around this, kind of what we can remember from history and what, what maybe it means from that point of view?
0: Sure. You don't have to go back far uh, to find uh, a pretty big one. Not this big, but... Real estate was carved out of the financial sector, and that's when we went from ten sectors to eleven. Right. Uh, so no, not necessarily any shifting around uh, like we're seeing now. Just a carve out, but but still a meaningful change. And you know the sector uh, investment products uh, all had to adjust to that, just like they're adjusting to. Um, Uh, To this change, that's really about it. In in this particular change, around eight percent of the S&P is moving. Wow, Uh, that's that's a lot.
1: That is. Now, I guess you know when you talk about the changes that are being made. I mean, Jeff, along with being, I mean, equity strategist, what we're calling you here, but let's 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 uh, let's be honest. You're also a portfolio manager. You're a market strategist. You're also our earnings expert when it comes to LPL Research. So we've got this new group coming out. I mean, how do you think earnings in this communication sector will be a year or two from now? I mean, do we, can we expect it to be a major driver of earnings in the S&P 500, or will it lag? What do you think is going to happen there?
0: Yeah, it'll be a faster-growing yep. sector, no, no doubt. In fact, in the weekly market commentary uh, out later today, uh, I share some statistics on that. The um, The telecom sector as it exists today is, really only expected to generate low single-digit kind of earnings growth. After the reclassification, we'll be looking at a sector that is expected to grow earnings double-digit percentage rate, so uh, certainly faster growing. But you're going to have to pay more for that because the valuations will be higher, uh, and uh, certainly the volatility will be uh, higher as well uh, when when, uh, markets uh, are down. So those are things you have to keep in mind that this is this is not your mother and father's telecom sector.
1: I'll say it like that. <laughs> That's right. So obviously, if if the communications earnings are growing, we have to take it away from somewhere as those stocks filter around. Is it kind of is, is I guess technology going to have a little bit lower earnings growth now as some of those move around, or what's that look like for the other sectors that are being taken away from?
0: Absolutely, because these these fang stocks, yep. these social media, internet advertising names. Uh, you know, we 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 know the big the big fang stocks. Those are coming out, or at least not all of them, but some of them are coming out. And so, therefore, technology will look a little bit more like it did, let's say, 10 years ago. Uh, So you'll have slower growth, still above average, uh, but you'll also have cheaper valuations and uh, potentially uh, a little bit less volatility going forward.
1: All right. Well, that's... uh... That's really interesting. Obviously, Jeff, you know this is obviously your world. You've wrote a really interesting weekly market commentary. As we inch closer, What is the actual date, Jeff? We're saying later this September. Is there an official date this should take place for for this uh, change?
0: Yeah, I, there are several different dates. That's what I thought uh, because <laughs> you've got multiple index providers, uh, and then the uh, the product sponsors that have you know different. Different investment strategies around it have different dates for when they're making the changes. But I think the official date is September 28th. Okay. Um, September 21st is another date that um, I think maybe will start the first wave. But yeah, it's coming soon.
1: Well, that's after September 19th, one of my favorite days of the year. Besides, it's my son's sixth birthday. It's also Talk Like a Pirate Day. So, you know, September is just a great month, I guess. Which is a good segue, I think, Jeff, to um, our next discussion points here. The month of September. Historically speaking, since at least since 1950, September, when you look at the S&P 500, is actually the worst-performing month, down 0.47% on average. It's higher, less than any month on a percentage basis, as we just said. But also in terms of how often it's higher, it's highest to lowest amount of the times or closes positive. Is how I should say that the lowest amount of times. All in all, you know, September is that scary-ish month. Now, Jeff. You know, I've got some more stats here I want to get you in. I mean, do you – what do you think? The S&P's up five months in a row. we gotta, we got to be aware of this. Yes, we could have a well-deserved correction. We're making new all-time highs last week on the S&P. Up five months in a row. Do you think investors should run for the hills here, or what do you think if we had some downside volatility in September? What, what should investors be looking for?
0: Well, certainly, uh, you know, given the ongoing trade disputes, uh, given the fact that this year – has been so strong so far. It wouldn't surprise me to have a little bit of volatility. Certainly, there's some challenges in emerging markets, several of the smaller emerging markets, anyway, uh, that investors need to get comfortable with. We've got midterm elections. You've done a lot of work on that, Ryan. Historically, we see some volatility ahead of that. So a little more volatility would be expected. But you know, we haven't followed the seasonal pattern in recent months, right? This is supposed to be the sell and may go away period. Which is bad for stocks, and all we 've seen is gains uh, month after month, so it 's really hard to rely on the seasonal patterns I, I guess this um, this market's really driven by fundamentals, um, maybe economic and policy uh, fundamentals uh, here, so we'll just have to watch watch the news and uh, there are certainly some potential positive catalysts, even though maybe the media focuses more on the negative ones, that could allow us to continue to outperform the
1: historical pattern. Well, no, that's right. I mean, those are some great points there. You know, so again, August historically has been a rough month as well, and the S&P gained over 3% for the best August since I believe it was 2014, and one of the best August in general going back all the way back to 2000. So right there, that's impressive. And like you said, sell may go away. I know we talked about this in the podcast last week, but usually from May until Halloween are the worst 6 months of the year and now we're looking at gains every for 5 months in a row so clearly we're kind of almost laughing at the whole sell in May go away um idea but still um it's important to note September can be that month historically when you have that downside volatility there's some bigger events this month which Jeff and I'll get into later but the one thing Jeff I like to point out when the S&P begins the month above the 200-day moving average like it's going like it did in 2018 this year the S&P is actually higher by about half a percent in September. It's those months when the S&P is underperforming, is weak. You can get some really big downside moves. The stat that I was playing with, and again, I wrote this in our blog last week, lplresearch.com. We did kind of a uh, take a look at the um, month of September. September had a 30% drop in 1931, obviously the Great Depression. But in fact, there's no other month, Uh, that's had more 10% drops at the end of the month, for the whole month, uh, than the month of September. Um, January is, interestingly, the only month to never have a 10% uh, decline for the month. But the bottom line is, yes, September can be volatile. Yes, we're aware of a five-month win streak here, a a well-deserved break uh, could be in play. Uh, at the same time as Jeff hinted at, the fundamentals continue to be positive. We still have a, a nice backstop potentially from the Fed. Uh, some of the things that they've been saying, you know, Jeff, maybe let's talk about that for a second. I mean, you, you know, you you obviously have been following the Fed closely. Uh, we had the Fed in the news recently. They kind of, uh, maybe, saying we're not going to get that that interest rate hike in December potentially. The market took that in stride, and we had good gains last week. Uh, you know, what do you think about the Fed here in the month of September?
0: Well, the market's saying that we're going to get a, a third hike for, for the calendar year, and, and certainly we have no reason to argue with that. But you know, Chair Powell's last uh, comments suggests there is a chance that, um, uh, that we will not get the fourth hike. I mean, the Fed's been saying for a long time they're data dependent and they don't commit to moves well ahead of time. But based on where we're at here with economic growth, with inflation with the job market uh, they clearly have enough justification for a fourth hike uh they have signaled that that's sort of the default path but if um, you know if we see uh some sort of market shock of any we don't expect that but if we could see some sort of market shock here in the next few months that would cause them uh to pause uh, at the end of the year i think the market's pricing in about a 60% chance of a hike in December, um, that that seems reasonable. We would say maybe it's more likely than not, but, but right. far from a short.
1: Okay, yeah, I, mean, I guess to quote the great Jim Carrey movie, Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance, right? I mean, that's kind of, I think, where we're looking. And the other thing I've always kind of, in the back of my head, if you look at when Fed rate hikes have been happening, we've had a December rate hike in 2015, 16, 17, so, you know, could there be one at the end of the year this year? But the bottom line again is there's is a very, very strong likelihood of a Fed rate hike um, later this month. So, Jeff, maybe let's change gears here for a second and let's go to the lightning round. Uh, we're just going to go to a couple different questions. I mean, Jeff, again, you know, you are an expert in the field and in, in all of Wall Street when it comes to valuations and markets. Now, one of the knocks, and honestly, I was seeing it just over the weekend in my reading. The market is overvalued um, you know stocks are increasing faster than earnings I don't even know if I believe that, but I saw that headline uh, nonetheless that you know, market stocks are overvalued and that's one reason to be a little bit leery here. What is your take of valuations in general and what do you think investors should uh, be be aware of when it comes to valuations here?
0: yeah it, it's a controversial topic uh, there are a lot of different that's Violation why I asked
1: you, Jeff. I'm not. I'm use. not touching the. I'm not touching the controversial ones. I'm letting you do that one. Take it. That's that's all, <laughs> all you. All right. I'll,
0: <laughs> I'll, I'll give it my best shot. There you go. And try not to get myself in trouble. So, um, you know, some people use um, what's what's been made famous by Robert Schiller, um, the uh, Cape Measure, cyclically adjusted PE ratio, and that looks at ten years of profits. And I just think, in this environment, as we approach the 10-year anniversary of the financial crisis, that 10-year look backs that's too far back in the past. A lot of companies aren't around that were in the earnings numbers 10 years ago. So I prefer to look at more recent numbers, either trailing one year or estimates for, future, uh, for a future year. And based on that, those metrics were pretty much fairly valued. Um, if you factor in interest rates and inflation, because stock valuations are connected to interest rates and inflation, uh, we're actually maybe even a little bit below average valuations. I know that's hard for people to believe, but um, when inflation and interest rates are low like they are today, valuations tend to be higher. So, um, you know, we think a P.E. ratio of 19 times trailing four quarters earnings is quite reasonable here and that's about where we are uh nineteen to twenty. And then a forward PE of around seventeen, which is about where we are uh right now uh on next twelve month basis, that is uh reasonable as well. And given, you know, we just got a strong ISM uh report, far better than consensus, which is a survey that measures purchasing manner's intentions purchasing managers' intentions. Um into the future, will they buy more, will they buy less, um, and, uh, you know, that's connected to earnings, historically, at least, and that is a very positive signal that suggests we're going to get continued solid earnings growth. If you're going to get continued solid earnings growth and no recession, which is certainly our expectation for the next year-plus, uh, valuing stocks based on forward earnings, we think, is reliable. in you know, inflection points in the economy, estimates are not reliable. Uh, but today, we're not certainly in that environment. Uh, we don't think so. We like the um, uh, we like the valuations here, and we still think stocks are favored to buy.
1: Great stuff, there, Jeff. You know, the one thing I always like to point out is the rule of twenty, which is simply the P ratio plus inflation should be right around twenty. Well, like you just said, we've got P multiples of either seventeen or nineteen with inflation running. We'll call it two and a half approximately. That's a little above 20, if my math is correct. But at the same time, by no means is it super stretched. And again, it's very important to look at at, at overall valuations uh, in the context of still historically low interest rates, along with uh, that low inflation. So Jeff, this week, I kind of started a Twitter storm, I guess you could say. uh, Last week, I'm sorry, last week I did. I did a playful tweet that took a look at the fact that the S&P 500, in the month of August, had made four consecutive new all-time highs. And I was looking, you know, first off, there aren't every, I am looking at all 12 months, going back to 1928 or 1950, whichever one you want to use, um, the month with the least number of new all-time highs for the S&P is actually August. Um, And sure enough, we had four in a row there. And I took a look, and the last time we had four new all-time highs for the S&P in a row, that's consecutively, And the month of August was 1987. Now, I I am aware, anytime you mention 87 when it comes to social media, you're going to get a certain reaction from people. And I did kind of a playful little um, animation of Kermit the Frog kind of biting his fingers like he was nervous to kind of, you know, look under the surface that, yes, it's something to be aware of. But this is not 1987. So Jeff, you know, I've got some reasons why this is not 87. You know, in a minute or two, why do you think? Yes, we just made four new highs in August, but hopefully we don't have a crash coming. Uh, You know, why is this not 1987?
0: Well, the biggest reason is stocks were surging in '87, leading up to um, Black Monday and and the '87 crash. Right, we were up in the neighborhood of 40% year to date. um, Yep. Leading up to that, so there was um, certainly more excessive optimism reflected in the markets uh, at that time uh, versus uh, what we're experiencing today, with you know stocks up around nine percent or so uh, year to date at this point. That's the biggest reason, but you've also we're also not seeing the um, optimism in the derivatives markets that we were seeing back then as well. Certainly, portfolio hedging was part of the problem then. Maybe the good thing about the financial crisis and looking backwards is that it's um you know it's led to a healthy amount of pessimism uh It's really persisted for ten years um sure <laughs> so has. people right. have been you know afraid to pay the dot com bubble kind of valuations uh we're not we're not inflating bubbles as fast as we were because people remember what happened ten years ago.
1: Uh, that's right. I mean, yeah, you you took exactly what I was going to say. You know, you stretched that rubber band so far when the S&P is up about 40% year-to-date on top of some really, really big gains the five years before, you know, when the bull market, I guess you could say, was born in August of 1982. The rubber band was stretched, and in the end, and I always like to kind of playfully point this out, people who say, 87, 87, and we get it. There was a massive correction in October of 1987, the worst one-day drop ever. Uh, nonetheless, the stocks gained in 1987, just barely, but they still were managed, managed to close higher. Um, but again, that's a playful stat, just kind of sometimes it's fun to show context around things. I think it's very important. Yes, this is the last time this happened since 87, but this is a much different environment than 1987, uh, fortunately. So Jeff, this is the month of September, like we said. We kind of touched on this already, but the next... Um, question we have for the lightning round is for you. What do you think will be the big event this week? This is, you know, the first week of September. We've got some big, big things coming out later this week. Uh, what should our investors be on the lookout for for any potential volatility or news moving um, ideas the, this first week of September?
0: Yeah, I, I think today is is probably the big one. Now that we've seen the number, that ISM manufacturing uh, survey was was big. It was the highest level 61.3, the highest level of the entire economic expansion.
1: I hadn't seen that yet. Wow. That's something. Um, yeah, it that's just, well, it just okay. came out
0: right as we yep. were about to start exactly. talking here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um,
0: You've got to go back to '04 to find a number to match that. <laughs> and I think if you go back any further than that, you probably have to go back 30-plus uh, years to find a number better. So that is a very strong number. And historically... ISM peaks are not soon followed by recessions. So if you just take the historical average, we've got several more years to go uh, before the economy contracts. Obviously, every cycle is different. You never know for sure. But that's a very positive data point. It'd be hard for the jobs report, which has been sort of plodding along at, let's call it 150 to 200,000 jobs here for a while. That's a pretty good rate for this stage of the expansion, uh, the um, consensus estimates about $190,000 uh, for, um, for, for Friday, so that if we can do that it would be a nice pickup from the prior month, but really nothing that changes the story, which is it's a, a very strong job market that just gets tighter and tighter, and we're potentially going to have more wage inflation here. Uh, that's good for workers, obviously, but the Fed doesn't want to see that, so A, Maybe a watch-out is if that wage number in Friday's jobs report picks up from 2.7%. Uh, that could cause um, folks to get a little bit nervous about the Fed.
1: No, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, also some potential market-moving events this week. On Wednesday, remember last week the U.S. and Canada were not able to reach an agreement in NAFTA. The talks are supposed to start up again on Wednesday, so expect that to dominate the headlines. Also, the ISM services number comes out on Thursday. And then, again, the big monthly jobs number on Friday. So it's a big big week. Now, looking out to the month, we kind of touched on this already. But what you have to say one of the definite big things this month is the Fed decision, uh, interest rate decision, where we fully expect the Fed to hike rates a quarter point once again. And, again, it's kind of all about what they say. And, and, and uh, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. There's a um, Q&A after this interest rate decision. Am I correct?
0: I believe
1: that's right, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely the Q&A is going to be very well watched <laughs> for any potential clues uh, They kind of how the Fed Chairman uh, Powell kind of implies if there's going to be another interest rate hike this year or not. But the bottom line is, as we've seen from the Fed minutes that came out recently, uh, there's definitely been some concern about all of the trade tariffs and the trade concerns. It, obviously, as Jeff, you just noted with that manufacturing number, my goodness, it's not slowing down the U.S. economy uh, apparently, at all. Uh, global economies, maybe a different argument there. So, kind of what the Fed has to say, but definitely later this month, uh, that Fed decision is going to be a big one. And then just the fact that it's the calendar. You know, people say, What's your big worry here? Well, we worry about the same things a lot of other places are worried about. You know, potential inflation. Like you just said, it's a tight labor market. You could start to see a little more inflation. Uh, You know, could the tariff slow down the overall global economy? But at the same time, you know, the calendar uh, September, October of most years can be volatile to the downside. Also, pre-election, I'm sorry, midterm years like we are now, no question, you can have some downside volatility into that early November election of a midterm year. Now, the really good news: the fourth quarter of this year, if you look at a four-year cycle of a presidential cycle, the fourth quarter of a a midterm year which again starts up here about a month from now, is one of the strongest quarterly returns out of the four-year cycle. Also, the first and second quarters of the um, third year of the presidential cycle, which is going to be next year, are really strong. So what I'm getting at, over a four-year presidential cycle, these next three upcoming quarters are three of the strongest. But again, these things don't always play out. Like we said, selling may go away. Surely hasn't worked this year, but it still it still is really important to be aware of. This is probably not the time we're going to see a massive, massive equity sell off, uh, with the economy and things uh, things so strong. So, Jeff, anything else? You know, we should be on a lookout this uh, overall this month, or maybe even go into a little bit of early October if you want. Earnings season's coming up, right? But I mean, what should we be on the lookout for next four to five weeks here? Yeah,
0: well, I think I mean the election's going to get. A lot of attention certainly as we move into October, but trade is the big one now, um, and you know potentially we'll get something meaningful out of the the Mueller report, but um, you know beyond that, uh, I think we covered it all. I think we covered all. It's really the the, the Fed and, the, and and the data, um, the fundamentals uh, probably um, uh, are going to continue to support this market, economic fundamentals and corporate fundamentals. Really, no matter what we think happens with um, you know the election, whether the Republicans take uh, lose the House, which a lot of people think is going to happen, um, it's uh, you're probably in an environment where um, corporate America can continue, can continue to do pretty well, and the U.S. economy can continue to shine relative to the uh, uh, the rest of the world. Um, and and we mentioned emerging markets a little bit, you know the Turkey crisis that's gotten a lot of attention. Um, Argentina, Venezuela, there are trouble spots that we have to watch too, which certainly could continue to drive volatility, but the way we see it, those situations are not enough to derail uh, this bull market, so we see further gains between now and the end of the year.
1: That's right. You know why they call them surprises, because you didn't see them coming, right? So who knows, there could be something in a couple weeks that no one's even seeing coming or talking about, and that could... uh, be what kind of catches us off guard here. But as always here at LPL Research, you know, we're going to be actively watching every single day and sharing our views. So Jeff, I had a lot of fun today. How, this is your first podcast. I've done a few of these. What'd you think? How'd we do?
0: I, I, I think we do well. I think we covered a lot of ground in a relatively short period of time. And hopefully all of our listeners, um, uh, found all of this, uh, interesting. And, uh, I hope to uh, be invited back. I think you hate to do something once and then not again. Oh, you know what that
1: means. That's right. Well, you know, as a Cincinnati Bengals fan, I would take just one Super Bowl, Jeff. I'd be okay with just one Super Bowl win. I mean, you know, as a Chiefs fan, the chief you're a Chiefs guy. Have they won a Super Bowl or not?
0: They they did before I was born. It so counts, I don't man. I not really
1: count that. Oh, hey, it, well, maybe not, but you know, there you yeah.
0: go. So I'm a, it, I'm, I've been waiting a long time, uh, just like you have.
1: Yeah, and the Chiefs do play the Bengals this year, so we probably should not do a podcast that week. I, I'm not. We can't talk to each other. That's just how it goes. But you know,
0: we'll we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll put our uh, professional relationship ahead <laughs> of maybe any sort of personal animosity. There, you,
1: that. that's right. Well, that's it for this episode. A special thanks to Jeff Bookbinder for chatting with us this week.
0: Great to be here, Ryan. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm Ryan Dietrich. Thank you for listening. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principle. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPL Financial, LLC, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA, insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.